0: Hello and welcome to Random Interesting Facts, the podcast about everything and nothing, with your host, 42. This week's topic is cheese. So let's dive right in with fact number one A horny shepherd discovered blue cheese. It never ceases to amaze me the number of discoveries we as a human species have uncovered solely down to the fact that we're a bunch of horny buggers. Because, let's be honest here, are we really meant to believe the guy who first milked a cow was only looking to moisten his Weetabix? Yeah, right. So, when I learnt that a certain type of cheese was discovered because a guy in 7th century France ...wanted to get a bit of action, my first thought was that it must have been the invention of Swiss cheese, for obvious reasons. It's basically the cheesy version of a warm apple pie. But it turns out I was wrong, thank God, because apparently a young lad with blue balls discovered blue cheese... According to the legend, this young shepherd was busy minding his own business one day, just about to tuck into a nice lunch he'd bought for himself of bread and cheese, when, all of a sudden, a fair maiden appeared. A beautiful young woman caught his eye in the distance, and we know she was beautiful because of what he did next. He abandoned his lovely lunch of bread and cheese. ...in a nearby cave... ...and chased after the poor girl. And I don't know about you... ...but it takes a hell of a lot... ...to tear me away from my lunch. So she must have been at least a solid seven. Some time later... ...he returned empty-handed. We don't know quite how long he was gone for. Some say hours. Some say days... But when he returned, he'd clearly not hit it on with his love interest-slash-victim. For her sake, I hope it wasn't days. I mean, God forbid, what a disturbing experience it must have been to be chased around a field in rural France for 72 hours by a hungry, horny shepherd mumbling something about a knob of cheese, like a provincial Harvey Weinstein. To add insult to injury to the eternal bachelor, when the starving shepherd returned to the cave to finish off his lunch, the damn thing was all mouldy. I mean, I don't know what he expected. He left his cheese and bread in a damp cave for hours on end, but apparently it didn't matter to him. Not at all put off by the bluey-greeny gunk which had magically appeared. On his cheese probably wiping off a few maggots as well he proceeded to pick up from right where he left off and chowed down on his moldy cheese oh gross my that young lady definitely made a lucky escape there what a catch he was to his delight it was actually edible very edible in fact some not me might even say, delicious. With its sharp, tangy flavour, and riddled with disturbing green veins, the randy bastard had discovered blue cheese. You know, the stuff on cheese platters that literally nobody likes. Yay! Apparently, this magical tasty mould which had infested his lunch was a special strain called Penicillium roqueforti. If you're a cheese lover and this fungus sounds familiar to you, that might be because this is the particular strain used in one of the world's best-known blue cheeses, roquefort. Penicillium roqueforti is found in the soil of the local caves in Roquefort-sur-Solzon, in southern France. And roquefort cheese is still aged in those very caves to this day. Although in these modern times there really isn't a need for the whole cave thing actually as the moulds can now be grown in a laboratory and simply added to the cheese as an aerosol through holes poked through the rind. Mmm delicious. Whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes up, oh, that's a good looking car, <laughs> check out The Big Three, available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube. Next up, moments from history. where we look back at one particularly bizarre moment from the past. This episode, Exploding Pancakes! Now, have you ever woken up one Saturday morning, strolled to the kitchen to make yourself some delicious pancakes, sat down, grabbed a fork, and BOOM! The pancakes have exploded in your face! No, you lucky sod, because if you were Japanese during World War II, there was a surprisingly high probability that this could have happened to you. And in my opinion, if you're going to team up with the Nazis, a detonating pancake to the face is probably well deserved. In 1942, Europe was at the height of Nazi expansion. But over to the east, Asia was having problems all of their own. Japan was having a good go at being a superpower and was aggressively swallowing up Asia. Meanwhile, a technological acceleration was underway by the allies to try and fight back. And what was America's answer to stop the Japanese at their little expansion game? Exploding breakfast of course! Obviously. George Katiakowski was a Ukrainian-American physical chemistry professor at Harvard University, and to say he was an important figure during World War II would be an understatement, because he was a prominent participant in the Manhattan Project. For those of you unfamiliar, this was the special organisation set up to try and invent a new type of weapon. And oh boy, well, little boy, did they deliver. They only went and created the atomic bomb. Nuclear warfare aside, George was given the assignment of creating an explosive that could be smuggled through Japanese checkpoints and reach the Chinese resistance fighters. That meant no ticking time bombs, and certainly no fuses sticking out of boxes. Unfortunately, he didn't go with my nuclear bomb Rice Krispies idea. Snap, crackle, and boom. But his loss. Instead, he went with the next best thing. And something a bit more inconspicuous, to be fair. George chose a non-toxic explosive named HMX. Or, as it's sometimes beautifully referred to, as Her Majesty's Explosive which just sounds like the coolest James Bond weapon. He added this deadly agent into bags of flour, and named it Aunt Jemima, which was also a popular brand of pancake flour at the time, and would hopefully go undetected by Japanese custom officers in China. It was all going well, actually, until one day, a member of the Chinese resistance had the inspired notion of using the uh, <clears throat> Aunt Jemima flour to make special muffin bombs. Seriously, his idea was simple. Bake some delicious-looking muffins out of the exploding flour, put a blasting cap on it, and go and blow something to pieces. Sounds great, right? Well, it should have been, except for one tiny issue. He was going to make all those murder muffins. It takes quite a long time to make muffins, and when you're chucking them at the enemy several times per minute, you get through them pretty quickly. And then you have to account for all the ones that the, uh, resistance fighters have had a little snack on. Never to be seen again. So, a Chinese cook was found. One who was willing to handle such dangerous ingredients. The instructions should have been easy to follow. Make a batch of exploding muffins and, for goodness sake, don't bloody eat any. I mean, the chef really ought to have worked that last bit out for himself. Sure, it looked like normal flour at a quick glance, but a more careful examination would have immediately proven you wrong. The flour mixture was gritty and certainly didn't look edible. Nonetheless, the resistance members thought it best to warn the chef not to eat the muffins, stating that they were poison, do not eat them. What they didn't consider though was just how delicious they would look when they came fresh out of the oven. Speaking of the oven, you might be wondering how it could be possible to even contemplate baking with explosive flour. Surely the second the batter comes into contact with heat, it would just take your face off along with the oven, right? Well, usually, you'd be correct. And you should probably note that down as a life lesson, along with don't eat yellow snow. But in this instance, you'd be wrong. You see, what made HMX, the explosive used in the flour, so unique and one of the reasons why they chose it was that it has a very high heat resistance. So you can bake it just fine, and it doesn't explode in your face. Hooray! Anyway, back to the Chinese chef who had a hankering for some gritty gunpowder muffins. Once they came out of the oven, looking too good not to eat, he began thinking to himself that maybe the reason he was warned not to eat one wasn't because they were actually dangerous, no! But because the Chinese resistance fighters wanted them all for themselves. Long story short, he ate one and he almost died. This proved a serious problem for the ease of the flour going across checkpoints. Because if any Japanese officers were even slightly suspicious of the flour mixture being imported in, a quickfire way to ease those concerns would be to prove that the flour is indeed edible by baking it into a delicious treat, consuming it and proving it doesn't kill you. Who else has the delightful imagery of World War II Japanese Border Patrol baking cakes in a little hut? No, just me, okay. So, a modification to the flour was soon developed that contained just enough HMX for an effective weapon when used correctly, but not enough to destroy your intestines when consumed. (laughs) This Goldilocks zone of dynamite batter was baked into an array of baked goods. Everything from bread, muffins, and pancakes. Although it strongly wasn't recommended, for obvious reasons, there were times when the flour was even used to feed the resistance fighters, when supplies were low. And there was nothing else to eat. I dread to imagine the state of the bathroom the next morning. And the best part? Any unwanted leftover food made from the flour could just be repurposed and used as explosive devices. The explosive flour was used everywhere from landmines to blowing up bridges. And the whole time, the Japanese had no idea that the explosive material was being shipped in right under their noses. Over the course of the war. 15 tons of Aunt Jemima flower bags were used. And the rest, as they say, is history. <clears throat> we won. <clears throat> Sorry, don't know what got over me there. Now, we'll take a quick little break whilst you absorb all that information, and soon we'll be back with fact number two. FACT NUMBER TWO Despite its reputation, cheese is good for you. There's always a new headline being published with some stupid claim about food these days. Bacon will kill you. Bacon is a superfood. Chocolate is the death of you. Chocolate makes you live longer. It's hard to keep a track of what you should and shouldn't eat. What might and might not kill you. I swear I saw a headline the other day stating drinking water is bad for you. I wish I was joking. And don't even get me started on the conflictions around coffee. But cheese has always had a bit of a bad rap. And in an age where rates of heart disease are on the rise... Sometimes it's a little too easy to point the finger, whether it be salt, sugar, cheese, or just about anything else that makes life worth living. And in this guilt-ridden world where you're often told what you should and shouldn't do, should and shouldn't eat, I'm here to relieve a little of that pressure and say, go on, order that cheese board, unless you're lactose intolerant. Because it turns out that cheese isn't just not as bad as we thought, it could actually greatly extend our lives, and help avoid some nasty diseases in the process. Although, there is one caveat to this superpower, which I'll get to in just a moment. But first, what if I told you you could eat cheese every day and lower your cholesterol? And yes, I'm very well aware of the hypocrisy here, because that sounds just like one of those headlines I just blasted. But I have something they usually don't! Facts! Yay! Two unrelated, randomised, controlled trials decided to put to the test whether or not regular fat cheese had any effect on cholesterol levels. Despite its high levels of saturated fat, or as I like to call it, the tasty stuff. But independent analysis came to the same conclusion that cheese did not increase total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, triglycerides, or blood glucose. Heck, it didn't even increase waist circumference. These results suggest that the saturated fat content in cheese is absorbed by the body slightly differently, and doesn't quite have the adverse health risks once assumed. Now, about that caveat, this doesn't mean you can head off to your local cheesemonger, purchase a 3 kilogram wheel of cheese and sit there munching it away, whilst mumbling, it doesn't count, it doesn't count. From past experience, I wouldn't recommend it. These trials, you see, were conducted with the participants eating something that boring people like to call a portion. Yes, you know, those tiny little things in dietary textbooks. In this case, it was a 50 to 80 gram piece of cheese every day. No, not a wheel. Put it down. Like everything else in life, it just comes down to moderation. Something as vital as water can kill you if you drink enough of it. But for those of you wanting an added cheesy health boost, you might want to think about swapping your cheddar for some of the blue stuff discovered by that grabby young shepherd. According to a 2016 study, magical mouldy blue cheese can help you live longer. This is because it contains something called spermidine. <laughs> yes, I know. Spermy cheese. Hilarious. How mature of you. huh? On a side note, the reason for its unfortunate name is actually down to the fact that it was first discovered in semen samples. Mm. Spermidine is found in lots of things, from soybeans, chicken liver, green peas, corn, shellfish, and the aforementioned ejaculate. High levels of spermidine in your diet are associated with reduced blood pressure and fewer incidences of heart disease. You hear that, ladies? We're just trying to help you live longer. Fact number three. Cheesy dreams might not be a thing at all. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my mum always used to tell me not to eat cheese before bed or I'd get nightmares. Of course I didn't give a single toss about that and snuck into many a baby bell in my room at night. But apparently this old wives tale, although not correct, isn't completely wrong either. To put this nightmarish rumour to bed, the British cheese board, yes that's a real thing. I'm not sure if they're aware of the irony of being called the cheese board. ...decided to investigate the connection between cheese and dreams. Mm. By the way, the fact that the following results were found by the British Cheese Board... ...means we can't fully rule out a chance of a little bit of bias... ...towards cheese-favoured results. So take all this with a pinch of halloumi. 200 volunteers took part in the study... ...which involved eating 20 grams of various cheeses... 30 minutes before going to bed. Tough job, but someone's got to do it. Surprisingly, none of the 200 participants recalled having a nightmare. Fantastic news, surely that ends the debate, right? But just as the cheese board are about to put away their wheels of cheese and call it a day, the volunteers mentioned something else. Two-thirds of them noted that they were able to recall the dreams they did have very well in a much more vivid and positive way to usual. This suggested that Cheese was doing quite the opposite of what the old tales suggest. Instead of giving people nightmares, it was creating pleasant, memorable dreams instead. Delving deeper into the intricate details of their dreams, Amazingly, there arose a pattern depending on which cheese the participant ate before bed. The cheddar group described dreams that involved celebrities and fame. Those who had a slice of Lancashire cheese had dreams related to work. Bad luck there. Those who ate Red Leicester had nostalgic dreams regarding childhood. And the Cheshire cheese eaters described a dream-free, but restful sleep. (sighs) However, one cheese stood out amongst the rest. Which resulted in some interesting experiences. And might be a reason why some mothers warn their children about eating cheese before their bedtime. Except for just wanting to make their child's life generally miserable. After eating this particular cheese, one lady recounted her disturbing dream featuring a vegetarian crocodile who is upset with her because he could no longer eat children. I know how she felt. Dreaming of vegetarians makes me wake up in a cold sweat as well. And the cheesy culprit that induced this strange experience was Stilton. And she's not alone. 75% of men and 85% of women who were assigned Stilton as their pre-bedtime snack reported very odd dreams during the experiment. So is there any science to support these strange findings? The short answer is no, at least not yet. Although science definitely does suggest a strong link between a good night's sleep and the consumption of cheese, so that's something. And I'll literally take anything which tells me I can eat cheese as my midnight snack. It's all for the sake of getting my eight hours of beauty sleep. Despite its reputation, cheese is often listed as a food to aid sleep, due to the fact it contains the amino acid tryptophan. Tryptophan is an essential amino acid which can't be produced by the body and therefore has to be absorbed through one's diet. It plays a vital role in the production of serotonin and melatonin. Yes, the happy and sleepy hormones, respectively. So, if you're wanting to feel a little bit happier and sleep a bit better, why not eat a slice of cheese before bed? But not Stilton, unless you want to have a conversation with an alligator. Thank you so much for listening, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, then please do rate, review and subscribe, because it really helps out the podcast. And if you have a random interesting fact, all of your own, that you're just bursting to share with me, then tweet it at me using the hashtag Riff Podcast. That's hashtag R-I-F Podcast. And each week, I'll choose my favourite fan-submitted fact, and shout it out at the end of the episode. Thanks.